0: Chapter 13 of The Secret of the Sahara Kufara by Rosita Forbes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 13 Through the Mountains. Loading the camels on January 25th was something of a difficulty. The whole male population of Hawari came out to help or to hinder, while various shrouded female forms lurked in the shadows of palm clumps hoping to exchange a few eggs for green tea but we had left our last stores at kufara so could do no bartering a young merchant from wadai offered us crimson dyed leather at three and a half midgeties for a whole goatskin he would easily make his fortune among london boot shops that morning was another revelation of zouia character for if we left anything out of sight for a minute it disappeared i lost my pet woolly scarf which i used to roll around underneath my thin cotton garments my only protection against the north winds mohammed politely spread his rug for two venerable ekwan to sit upon a few moments later they and it vanished together Yusuf, bright-colored blanket followed suit with hassanine's sleeping helmet it is not to be wondered at therefore that our farewells were somewhat chilly amar was venomous because some thrifty housewife had appropriated the grid on which he made his almost uneatable bread we shuddered to think what it would be like without it by eight a m we had received the last mixed blessings and warnings the chorus of marhabas and "masalamas" had died among the palms and an amazing sense of peace had descended upon us For the first time in three months, we were a completely friendly party, united to achieve a common object by dint of hard work and endurance. It was a wonderful feeling. Everybody was happy and nobody shirked. Even the plump Yusuf forgot his plenty of wine and with a fat smile gathered Hatab and urged on the camels. Unfortunately, our great grey Tibu beast was suffering badly from his first heavy date meal just as the rest of the caravan had done at badafal a month previously at the last moment however sidi mohammed el jadawi seeing that the necessary dates for fodder took up three complete loads lent us one of sayed Rita's foaling nagas we had no baggage saddle awia for her so we doubled across her back our thin single-fly tent which we had meant to leave behind at the last moment yusuf ever economical stuck the three light poles in somewhere. We therefore started with a caravan of nine, but they were distinctly overloaded, for we had to carry water for six or seven days, since Suleiman the guide was uncertain as to how long it would take to dig out the Zakar well. That day we marched ten hours, with a hot sun and a cold north-northwest wind. We left the Hawari Gara, a dark block to the west, with the great indigo cliffs of the Gebel Neri far beyond it. Gradually we drew away from the hot red sands of Kufara with their patches of strange black stones. In the afternoon we emerged onto the pale, flattish country, sweeping up to the foot of the Hawaish mountains. These, however, were still invisible when we camped at sunset, because the two smallest camels refused to go any farther we missed the blacks while struggling to unload our unruly beasts two of whom were three-year-olds and never could be barracked without a prolonged fight we built our zeribas with their backs to the persistent north wind but nature played us a trick for the temperature descended unpleasantly we sat comfortably inside our flea bags however cooking rice and coffee and watching a fading moon slowly dim our solitary candle next morning mohammed roused us long before the dawn and we were away by seven a m but we were very understaffed for armar and the old suleiman were both too feeble to lift the immense fodder loads and hassanein and i were exceedingly inefficient nevertheless complete cheerfulness still reigned the bedouins invented and sang lusty doggerel rhymes of personal tendencies such as if sidi yusuf won't walk today, a new little wife won't come his way we saw the hawash mountains a long line of round peaks on the horizon about eight a m and at the same moment discovered that our new guide had deficient sight he was a little old weazen bedouin very poor but very shrewd for all his apparent simplicity he was clad only in worn sandals an ancient leather skull cap and a pathetically tattered gray He was quite illiterate, and his rare speech was in a dialect which even Mohammed found some difficulty in following. He shuffled along all day, bent over his palm-stick, untiring and unresponsive, though occasionally his cracked, hoarse voice joined in the lilting refrains of the retinue. Only when he failed to pick out a certain hill with a cleft-top did he tell us that he had once rashly interfered in a private battle between two black soldiers and received a blow on the head which had permanently damaged his eyesight after this admission i think we all expected to lose the way but one becomes terribly fatalistic in the desert Allah alone knows is repeated with complete simplicity by every traveler in the great wilderness by this time i could well understand the carelessness of the bedouins their lack of forethought and their childlike trust in providence after all, what does it really matter on a twelve days' waterless route whether one overloads one's camel with a couple of extra gerbas and a spare jarf of fodder in order to ensure a day or two more of life? A few strong iblis may dry up all the water. It may go bad, or the skins may leak, or a load may be thrown onto sharp stones so that the girbas burst. On the other hand, the guide may lose his memory or his instinct. Day after day, without a landmark, With the ever-present knowledge that one slight mistake means destruction is surely enough to trouble the most experienced one day's bad march owing to a mere trifle such as irregularly balanced loads sore backs or unaccustomed date feeding will endanger the whole issue for the zakar jagabub or the zakar siwa roots are the longest known stretches without water though Boima-Farafa route is twelve days without water. The camels arrive completely exhausted, and if an extra day be added to the march, they probably do not arrive at all. The men may get sore feet or fever, but they cannot ride the heavily burdened beasts. The terrible north wind may blow day and night, making every step laborious, yet the daily average has got to be kept up. Therefore, the Bedouins smile when one makes a pitiful little attempt to arm oneself against nature, to forestall or prevent her rigors. If Allah wills, we shall arrive, they say gravely, and turn the conversation to lighter matter. Fired by the example of Mohammed and Maraja, Yusuf began to wonder whether a wife or two would not satisfy his affectionate heart more than a camel. A woman is so much cheaper, he sighed and told us that among the Ekwan no dowry is paid to the bride's father. A small gift of silk or gold is given to the mother and sisters, perhaps a necklace or bracelet to the girl herself, and there the expense ends. Twenty-five medjities are enough, said Yusuf, but if one wants to take the daughter of a Bedouin sheik, one must pay many camels. How many? I asked. Oh, ten, twenty, fifty, and one must give the girl silk and cloth for her clothes besides. He dropped into meditative silence. One by one, we saw the landmarks of the Ziegen track to the west, and learned that the northwesterly course we were following had been the original Ziegen route, till one Mohammed Sharif established the present, more direct way. First we saw the Guardia, a square block of dark cliff, then the Garret-es-Sharif called after a traveler who shortened by a day the Kufara-Jalo journey, and late in the afternoon a conical hill called the Kaima, tent, by the Mojavras, and the Mogan, funnel, by the Zuias. One great advantage we had over our previous journey. This time the sun was behind us all the time. The difference was enormous. Riding or walking for twelve hours, day after day, straight into a blazing sun— without hat-brim or umbrella, had been very trying to one's eyes and head. Altogether, the absence of glare, the feeling that the larger part of our work was done, with no necessity to placate a constantly irritated retinue, or to weld together the most inharmonious human elements, caused us to regard the dreary kilometers that lay before us as the most peaceful part of our journey. "'I want to see the white sands again,' I said and urged my little expedition on into the rose-purple hills the hawash are not really mountains they are an irregular mass of round rocky hills cliffs and cones and their direction would baffle even an experienced geographer we spent any spare moments at dawn and at sunset sitting on the top of some abrupt hillock with binoculars compass and a notebook studying the complicated positions of the local mountains but hair grew grey and temper short in the task. Always there was a new wall of hills in the distance, generally running at an unexpected angle, and when we asked the retinue for explanations, all they could say was, Allah alone knows. I wanted to camp within the first line of the Hawash, for by now I was just as anxious to leave the mysterious enchanted land as I had been to enter it. The circling horizon of strange hills seemed to shut us in with the hot-colored sands, but the cool white dunes beyond called us back to the open deserts of the north. Just as Suleiman wavered as to whether we should turn right or left of a large cliff, sudden news brought by Yusuf and Ammar, who had climbed a gird we had just left, abruptly shattered our peace. Our fat retainer was actually running, a swift, uneven little trot, which made him pant as he shouted, There is a caravan behind us! The idea was startling, to say the least, for no one had traveled by this route for nearly four years, and we knew that nobody was prepared to start when we left Kufara. At first we told Yusuf that he had dreamed his caravan. We were two days' march from Hawari, from where all travelers start, and when we left the oasis there had been no question of anybody else going north by any route amar however was equally positive we looked through the glasses he said there are four or six camels and nearly a dozen men with them and they are travelling fast about 3 hours behind us this was so definite that we had to believe it and mohammed dotted the eyes we shall be attacked tonight it is a habit of the zuiyas they wait till a caravan is outside their country so that they cannot be blamed and then they eat it up it is not the zouias indignantly refuted the guide they have great respect for the sayeds it is the tibus they have swift camels they attack in the mountains where no travellers ever go and then they fly south to the french country before anything is discovered intense gloom descended on the little party sunset light was fading and the one break in the purple stones ahead was a patch of vivid sand dotted with five camel skeletons We had only three rifles and our revolvers discretion in this case was certainly the better part of valor so we decided on ignominious flight we left the neighborhood of the wide pass leading to zakar and in darkness felt our way west through curling defiles and over steep ridges always driving the camels across the stony patches to avoid leaving footprints in the sand when Suleiman thought we had gone far enough from our course to baffle any pursuers we barracked in a convenient hollow out of sight of anyone who was not standing on the hills immediately surrounding us no fires said mohammed sternly no light at all and we will put the camels a little way in front of us they will move if anyone comes what shall we eat moaned yusuf plaintively we must have a fire to cook i agreed thinking i should be much braver after some hot coffee for it was very cold that night But Muhammad was adamantine. He hung his revolver around Suleiman's neck with strict injunctions to the guide to shoot straight and may Allah direct the bullet. He then suggested making a fortified zariba on the hillside. Yusuf and I, after furtive glances at the enormous loads, with a very long march fresh in our minds, thought it would be much better to perish comfortably in the hollow. It will only prolong the fight if we defend the hill, I said plaintively. I want to go to sleep on that nice, soft patch of sand. But, unfortunately, Hassanein and Amar were also against me. Therefore, we were forced to drag the large fodder sacks laboriously up the first ridge of the hill and push them into a serried wall on a ledge. I have never been crosser in my whole life, but it was a beautiful little fort when it was finished. I felt that only a very energetic bullet would get through those immense date sacks, and the position would certainly be impregnable as long as any of the defenders were alive the gerbas were arranged in front of us protected by stones so sure of food and water we could even stand a siege the camels were below us in the hollow yusuf and i again suggested a very tiny fire but mohammed refused and we contented ourselves with a four-day-old bread and tinned corned beef after that i silently unrolled my flea-bag preparatory to placing my revolvers the aneroid and the thermometer beside my pillow i shall not go to bed said hassanein sternly we must take turns to watch the right is with you replied Mohammed with alacrity is your rifle loaded Amar, my son we will all watch this however was too much yusuf and i merely ignored the remark but as i gave a last comforting wiggle to feel the thick woolly end of my flea-bag with my toes i heard hassanein's voice somewhere above me alert and strained if anyone comes into sight shall i speak to them first or fire at once what is your custom here two simultaneous answers blended with my sleep speak first came drowsily from yusuf shoot quickly and shoot straight from Mohammed. or you will never speak again the only thing that disturbed my slumbers that night was a little yellow sand mouse i woke up feeling something fluffy on my cheek and the absurd little beast was sitting on my nose he scuttled to the other side of the zeriba when i moved and Amar, bloodthirsty after a long useless vigil promptly killed and ate him no tibu warriors broke our peace but unfortunately the fear of them made mohammed wake me while the golden moon was still high and brilliant i would not move without breakfast so we hurriedly cooked rice and sweet tea in the unreal light almost as clear as noon, and laboriously pulled to pieces our beautiful Zareba of the night before. We rolled the heavy date sacks down the hill because the men were too tired after their hard twenty-four hours to carry them. One burst and scattered dates right and left. Thrift and fear mingled in the minds of the retinue, but caution for the long road before us was uppermost in my mind we picked them up in silence and dumped the load onto the protesting camels with almost personal dislike then we took to the trail again and still in the moonlight began picking our devious way round the irregular hills when suleiman finally led us back to the main pass we thought any pursuing caravan must be far ahead for it was two hours after sunrise by this time we were all inclined to think that the four or six camels and the dozen men existed only in the imagination of Yusuf and Amar. But we had hardly turned into the wide sweep of sand that led north to the open spaces beyond the first range of Hawash when we came upon fresh camel's tracks ahead of us. The plump one was delighted. I was right, I was right, he exclaimed. And now we are safe, for when they do not catch us, they will think we have been warned and gone to Ziegen to avoid them. Perhaps his surmise was correct. We never knew we found no more traces of the mysterious caravan its origin and destination remained a secret it had traveled two days and a half on the route to zakar far beyond the point where long ago travelers turned west to zigan then it vanished as completely as a mirage but mirage does not leave footprints in camel dung in spite of the sleepless night the bedouins marched well that day if we reach those mountains tonight, had said suleiman at eleven a m when we saw the second range of hawash blue and mauve beyond a wide expanse of pale sand waves and low dunes we shall say our asser prayers tomorrow at zakar so we plodded on cheerfully it was cool and cloudy with the usual north wind and an incessant mirage that made pools and lakes in every hollow the old camel i had ridden when i left jedabia seemed to know the way he made a beeline for a certain cleft in the hills. Yusuf noticed this also, and asked if I knew the story of the sand-grouse and the camel. They were arguing one day as to which was the cleverer, said the plump one, smiling. I lay my eggs at random in the trackless desert, urged the sand-grouse, and then I fly far and wide and search for food, but I can always come straight back to hatch them. The camel sniffed scornfully. "'If I drink at a well as a tiny foal trotting beside my mother, "'though I never see it again, I can find my way back to it "'even when I am very old and blind.' "'No, no, he is cleverer than that,' interrupted Mohammed. "'If a naga has tasted the water of a well when she is in foal, "'the camel she gives birth to can return to it, surely.' "'Let us hope this particular camel has drunk of the well at Jaghabub. I suggested.' "'Inshallah,' replied Yusuf devoutly. "'We found a delightfully sheltered spot "'between two hills that night, "'so did not trouble to build a zariba. "'The thermometer registered a frost, "'but I think it had been affected "'by the mental atmosphere the previous night "'because we did not feel very cold. "'I remember I drank so much coffee "'that I could not sleep, "'so I did not mind when the Bedouins "'insisted on making a fire three hours before dawn "'and cooking their asida a sticky mass of damp flour flavored with onions and or oil we must have been particularly inexpert with the loading for in spite of this early breakfast we started only just before sunrise the new gray camel lay down almost at once for he had not recovered from his greed we had to divide his girbas among the others for water is needed to harden the sand when digging the zakar well we watched the caravan anxiously as, leaving the second mass of the Hawash Hills, it crossed a rolling expanse of great flat slabs of stone, broken and slippery. However, it toiled slowly but safely across them, and about 10 am we were moving in sparkling white sand, blinding dazzlingly clean in the hot sun. There was practically no wind for once, and Yusuf actually discarded his overcoat after he had climbed a mound to point out a square solid black gara among surrounding stony girds near that is the well he announced we shall be there in one hour or perhaps four as a matter of fact we saw the two tufts of palm scrub that marked the zakar well at noon and they looked scarcely a stone's throw away among the sands white as snow but we only reached them two hours later that last caravan that passed must have suffered severely en route for there were bits of broken baggage among scattered camel skeletons yusuf wished to ignore several legs complete with pads in building a zareba, but i hankered after ground less gruesomely reminiscent so we compromised by turning our backs on the well and its immediate surroundings the animals always die at the end of this journey said suleiman calmly unless they are very strong then they drink so much water that one must travel very slowly taking five days or even more to go from here to hawari the well when we arrived was a big mound of sand but the guide told us it was properly made with stone walls so it was only a case of digging it is necessary to arrive at this well with a reserve of water as before beginning to dig one must carefully soak the surrounding sand to make it hold the stones like mortar Otherwise, they all fall in on top of anyone digging, and it is most dangerous work. Apparently, the zakar well was used in ancient days by tibus, long before the Jagabub-Kufara route was opened by the Mahdi. The latter never traveled over it himself, but he sent an exploring party to discover its possibilities, and later his brother Sayyid Ahmed sharif took a caravan across it. Since then, it has been practically reserved for the use of the Sanusi family, who make the journey with immense caravans with anything over fifty camels. They carry very large stores of fodder, casting several loads on the way if necessary. Sidi Idris and Sayyid Rita have so far avoided the route, but Sayyid Amas-es-Sharif used it several times. On one occasion, some of his water went bad going south, and his horse died of thirst four days out he had to leave most of his stores and luggage behind and return hastily to jagabug with as many camels as possible three years later his luggage was recovered just as he had left it which shows how little frequented is the route all afternoon the bedouins laboured at the well it was very narrow about two and a half feet across so only old suleiman thin and weazen, could get down to dig it must have been a most uncomfortable task, for the water lay at a depth of fifteen feet. But before he slept that night, he had felt damp sand beneath his fingers. Next morning, January twenty-ninth, the work was completed, and our fourteen girbas filled and ranged in two nice, fat rows ready for loading. But we could not start that day, for a very bad sandstorm ranged till four p.m., we could not light a fire or even go out to collect patab for our journey. The camels moaned as they were huddled in a miserable circle, and we crouched under blankets and ate sand mixed with dates and stale bread. Hasanine devoted much labor to mending his primrose and scarlet boots with brass wire, and was bitterly disappointed because he could not cut the ladder with his saw. In the evening the wind abated a little, but it was a gloomy sunset the sun was a livid disk in a pale green sky seen through a drab blur of sand above gray desert we sealed up our three precious vanities with secatine around the stoppers so that no one should be tempted to use them till the last possible moment then we recovered the well with old matting and skins we had found under the miniature dome which covered it in four years the sand had filtered through them as if they were not there but should any traveler be rash enough to follow shortly in our footsteps our precaution might save him a repetition of old suleiman's task on january thirtieth we began the long trek leaving the well at seven a m after a most careful adjustment of the loads it was cold with a faint north wind which strengthened as we mounted the stony gird northeast of the well as we turned for a last look at the lonely clump of palms, a minute spot of green and a boundless stretch of undulating sand, a muffled voice came viciously from the many-colored kufya which Hassanein had wound over his nose and mouth. The one comfort is that we shall either be in Jaghabub in twelve days or we shall be dead, it said. Are your boots very painful with all that brass stuck in them? I asked sweetly. For an hour we drove the camels slowly over rough, stony ground with large, loose slabs lying about. Then the hills gave place to the white sands, and we looked down onto dunes like the turbulent breakers of a stormy sea. Yusuf glanced solemnly at the last dark stones behind us. We are lucky to leave the red country without exchanging gunpowder, he announced, but the friends of the Sayeds are always blessed. YOU HAVE BEEN ESPECIALLY PROTECTED BY ALLAH, FOR THE Zuias ARE A BAD PEOPLE. IT WAS RARE THAT THE PLUMP ONE WAS REALLY SERIOUS, EXCEPT WHEN HIS FOOD OR SLEEP WERE THREATENED, SO WE GUESSED THAT HE KNEW MORE THAN HE WOULD EVEN TELL US. THE RISING NORTH WIND, HOWEVER, PREVENTED MUCH CONVERSATION, AND BEFORE WE HAD REACHED THE FIRST LINE OF DUNES, IT HAD DEVELOPED INTO SOMETHING RESEMBLING THE SANDSTORM OF THE PREVIOUS DAY. IT WAS BITTERLY COLD if one rode the wind pierced through every blanket that could be wound around one and one was nearly blown off the camel if we walked with the dirt muffled over our heads the sand poured through the woollen stuff into eyes mouth and nose and we literally staggered as we mounted each succeeding ridge and met the full force of the gale at the top i used to struggle on for a mile or two and then half bury myself under the lee of a gird till the stumbling, half blinded caravan caught up. A weary day was passed in repeating this process until everyone looked upon the unfaltering guide as his personal enemy who would never stop his slow, interminable crawl over dune and hollow, which always kept him just out of reach of our protests. Every time he paused to look for the best place to cross a ridge, we hoped to hear the barracan cry but always he shoveled on in broken sandals monotonously untiringly the wind dropped at sunset but we marched through the sickly gray light with a faint lemon glow in the west and only when the full twelve hours were completed did suleiman allow us to crawl into our flea bags half frozen half starved for everyone was too tired to cook i believe i took off my boots BUT CERTAINLY NOTHING ELSE, FOR I REMEMBER HOW BULKY MY RED HESEM FELT IN THE NARROW SPACE. BUT I SLEPT FOR NINE BLISSFUL HOURS AND ATE FAR MORE THAN MY SHARE OF SARDINES AND DATES IN THE MORNING. THE RICE WAS A STRANGE BLACKISH-GRAY COLOR, DUE TO THE GERBA WATER. THE COLOR AND SMELL OF THIS WATER, AFTER A FEW DAYS, ARE A GREAT PREVENTATIVE OF THIRST. WE HAD GONE BACK TO THE OLD RATION OF THREE CUPS OF WATER PER DAY, WITH A FOURTH FOR COOKING. We soon found that hot coffee made us too thirsty, but that cold, strong, sugarless tea produced rather the opposite effect. A much worse discovery greeted us that exceedingly cold morning of January 31st. Three of the Gerbas had either dried in the sand-filled wind or leaked away. There was scarcely the morning ration left in them. We spoke to the retinue seriously when we found them drinking copiously, but were baffled by their fatalism. We still had a gerba a day, and two fanatis to spare, so they refused to consider the infinite possibilities of delay, illness, loss, leakage, or a camel needing water by the way. "'What is written is written,' said Yusuf. "'You cannot run away from fate. That is what the eagle said to Suleiman.' "'What eagle?' I demanded suspiciously. The Prophet Suleiman was sitting on a hill, from which he could see many cities, when an eagle came to him and said, You think you are wise because you know the wisdom of all these people, but I will take you all over the world and show you the wisdom of countries you have never heard of. With that, he took the Prophet's girdle in his beak and flew north, south, east, and west with him, showing him many marvels. When they had travelled far and wide, the bird flew back to the Prophet's own country and dropped his pupil in a field where a ploughman was setting snares. BEFORE SULEIMAN COULD EXPRESS HIS THANKS, HE SAW THAT THE GREAT BIRD WAS CAUGHT IN ONE OF THE TRAPS, AND WAS BATTERING helplessly AGAINST THE BARS. Oh, THOU WHO WOULDST TEACH ME WISDOM, WHERE IS THINE OWN, THAT THOU WHO KNOWEST ALL IN THE WORLD COULD NOT AVOID ONE SMALL TRAP? WHAT IS WRITTEN IS WRITTEN, SAID THE EAGLE RESIGNEDLY. ONE CANNOT RUN AWAY FROM ONE'S FATE. YUSUF LOOKED AT ME EXPECTANTLY the eagle might have looked where he was going i said firmly and you will most certainly look at what you are drinking my son our start that morning was delayed because suleiman's ear had to be doctored a half deaf as well as a half blind guide was certainly a thing to be avoided so we gave him all our spare undergarments his ailment being entirely due to the fact that with a temperature of zero he slept on the cold sand in a ragged cotton shirt and adjured transparently thin and tattered He had started to walk more than a thousand miles, including his return journey after he had taken the camels back to Jedabia, with no other possessions than these and not one nickel of money. Allah is great. He will provide, he said simply, as he wound my knitted spencer on his head and tied a pair of Hassanine's breeches around his chest under his grimy shirt. The Arabs' one desire is to muffle every possible garment, no matter for what portion of the anatomy it is designed, round their heads and shoulders. The rest they leave to chance and the winds of heaven. Nature was evidently determined to show us everything she was capable of in the way of climate, for that day not a breath of wind stirred, and a torrid, aching sun beat down on us till our necks felt bruised and our heads heavy and unwieldy. We prayed for the night almost as fervently as the day before especially as a completely new range of the exasperating Hawash Mountains appeared to the east. After a day you will see them no more, said Mohammed consolingly. But they say the dunes go west, all the way to Misurata. Allah alone knows. After three hours' march, about sixty kilometers from Zakar, the dunes stopped altogether, and we crossed uneven stony ground till, an hour before sunset, we came to a single long line of huge heavy dunes running west-east. They rose suddenly like clear golden flower out of the dark stones which went right up to their base, and though we followed them east for fourteen kilometers that night and twenty-four the next morning, we never saw them merge into the rocky waste. Always they stood apart, immense, curly, ridged, like waves of a sunlit sea a beautiful landmark which can be seen half a day's journey ahead it was warmer that night and we foddled round a fire and ate yusuf's asida the only thing he liked better than camels he told us and listened to suleiman's tales of past journeys as they contained every form of disaster that can assail humanity in the clutches of remorseless nature we turned the conversation till he spoke of people living on this desolate stony ground long very long ago there used to be wood here and forage and there are stones stuck together with mortar and sometimes one picks up prepared milling stones which have been used for crushing grain i doubted his facts because in the afternoon he had pointed out traces of what he thought were walls constructed with mortar but I thought they were merely a natural formation of the sandstone which takes so many odd shapes. I think its milling stones were due to the hand of nature in fantastic mood, for there could never have been water in the stony ground. February 1st we started at 7.15 a.m. and barracked at 2.30 p.m. at the Memsa, a feeding ground where it is customary to allow the camels a few hours rest and a good meal before starting to cross the four days waste in front without blade of grass or twig of firewood a few camel skeletons mark the way below the towering dunes and here and there one comes across large stones set on end by preceding travellers these impromptu landmarks are of great value and we religiously made them ourselves wherever possible the bedouins are very good about this labour I have seen Mohammed toil to the top of some hillock with a heavy slab of rock after a long day's journey to make a mark that might cheer and guide a chance caravan years hence, perhaps. We crossed the dunes where a wide channel of stony ground ran into a low, curly ridge, and immediately on the other side found great shrubs and masses of dry, gray brush, excellent fodder and firewood, but burning hot at midday the dunes circled round west and north of an open space of some four kilometers beyond this again there was another track of hatab among this we camped and turned the camels loose to graze they were disappointingly different inshallah we shall arrive at jagabub but we shall leave two or three camels on the way said yusuf we were very anxious about our animals the two young nagas were terribly thin the big blonde camel was obviously ill, and two of the others were feeble and overworked. They should all have been rested and fed up at Kufara for at least another fortnight. We knew this at Taj, but the complicated politics of the place necessitated our precipitate departure. Yusuf told us that generally when a caravan travels to Kufara route, it spends a month at least in preparation. Forty or fifty camels are taken, and these are all fed up for weeks beforehand till they are very fat and strong. During that time they do no work, but are gradually trained to last 13 days without drinking by ever-increasing waterless periods. When our camels arrived at Kufara, they had done a hard 800 miles of journey, including one stretch of 10 days without water and 12 days without sufficient food, during the last three of which they were practically starving after nine days rest they had to start to cross one of the hardest routes in north africa overloaded and at a bad period of the year when the climate is at its worst we had therefore reason for our fears and when the animals turned away from the plentiful fodder of the Mamsa, our little party lost something of its high spirits End of chapter thirteen